Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Uh, my guest on today's podcast is my friend, R.J. Risueño. Did I say that right, R.J.? 100%. Will you spell your last name for us? Yes. R-I-S-U-E-N, and then you have the little tilde above that, and then you have an O. It's a great name, Risueño, R.J. Yes. So I will call R.J. R.J. through the podcast, but you should know his last name. And just a few housekeeping things. We've started a newsletter. You can sign up for it at listenlearnandlove.org. Go to the newsletter link. I think that's um, a great way for us, for you to receive updates about every two weeks on key podcasts, latest church information, resources to keep you informed of this intersection of LDS and LGBTQ. I had a good suggestion from one of our listeners that I need to be more excited in my introduction. And I'm kind of melancholy because it's a serious subject and he agreed with that. So I'm being a little more peppy in my introduction today. Good suggestion from one of our listeners, but we're not worried that RJ needs to be, um, he is going to bring a lot of energy to this podcast. And I'll just give you a little introduction. Um, one of the things RJ is going to do today is play on the piano. We have a piano in the podcast room, very convenient. And RJ as part of his podcast is going to play a song on the piano. But RJ grew up in Orange County. He is going to be 25 years old in mid-September. Most of you will probably be listening to this podcast in mid-September or later, um, possibly. So he's 24, 25. He's gay. He's um, recently graduated from Utah State, I believe, RJ. Yes, sir. And um, was the Elders Quorum president, I believe, in his YSA ward up there. And then kind of stepped away from the church for a period of time. He got a full-ride scholarship to a speech pathology program at uh, ASU. That's Arizona State University in Tempe. And he will talk about, well, maybe I should try this YSA ward out. And since that time, he has been active in his ward. And we'll talk a little bit about that journey, a talk he gave. But I just, I wish you could have heard RJ's prayer that he offered before we went live. Because this young man is really close to our heavenly parents and really wants to do the right thing in his life and has great spiritual insights and gifts, and especially about the doctrine of Christ and how it applies to all of our members, um, and especially our LGBTQ members. So I ju- we both just pray that a spirit will be here of enlightenment, of hope, and understanding. And as we're working this podcast to bring more understanding to the road our LDS LGBTQ members walk, hearing AJ's, or RJ's story is key to that. So anything that I you need to correct from my intro, RJ? Fun fact that you've never heard before is my last name translates in Spanish to smiley. And so when I was on my mission to Bolivia, I'd, you know, I still have this exuberant, happy personality and I'd go up to people on the streets and I'd, um, I'd say, hi, my name is Elder Resueño, of course, in Spanish. And they would laugh because I'm this six, one tall white boy. And, um, and they wouldn't believe me. And then they'd laugh and, and, you know, we just enjoyed the fact that my last name means smiley. And it's something that I'm just so proud of because it reminds me all the time just to put on a happy face. And where did you serve? I don't remember oh, if I mentioned Santa that. Cruz, Bolivia. Okay. So it was so much fun. I was there from July, 2013 to July, 2015. That's great. Tell us your story, RJ. 
okay, so um, as Richard said, I'm gay. And I think the first memory I have where I realized I wasn't like the other boys my age was um, <laughs> was when I was, I want to say five or six, I was, my favorite CD at the time was Britney Spears' Baby One More Time, where it's, you know, it's pink background and, and it's just this very feminine CD. And I just, I loved it to death. And I, I've loved Britney Spears ever since, but I, um, that was one of my first memories where, you know, my, the guys in primary were playing with cars and all that stuff. And I was having fun with dolls. I was, you know, just living a very different lifestyle. I mean, I, I knew that I wasn't connecting with my male friends that much, but, um, but you know, that what it didn't become a huge, uh, as huge of an issue until I was in, in junior high, um, in junior high, um, my nickname was R gay wow. and I was bullied on a daily basis, multiple times, um, a day. The F word was not a four letter F word, but a three letter F word that was used all across campus. I, um, Towards you or just yeah, towards me wow. um, specifically, and at the time, you know, and you're in Orange County and Garden yes, Grove. Yes, Orange County. Yes, um, my sexual orientation, I I didn't really identify. I didn't identify as gay at the time. I knew that I wasn't physically attracted to women. There was definitely this yearn for emotional connection with men, but you know, this bullying kept me in the closet for a much longer period of time because when bullies tell you you're gay, are gay, are gay, you don't want them to win. And so I just, it was a very emotionally traumatic experience. I had the best sister who stood up for me, the best girlfriends who stood up for me. But, um, is it hard even to say are gay out loud? Does it just bring back trauma? (laughs) I mean, I'm just tenderhearted that you actually said that out loud because that's, I would assume a really painful just thing to hear. It was so painful. And, you know, even sometimes when people say my name and with, you know, sometimes I can almost hear the R gay being, being said instead of RJ, but, you know, I really do credit the church with giving me a solid support group of friends, especially female friends. Um, throughout junior high and high school, I, um, accompanied the ward choir. I played piano since I was probably five or six. And I, I did really well in that. I played organ, um, at church, at funerals. And I was also, um, serving in, um, various priesthood callings such as, excuse me, first assistant to the bishop. Now scouts, let's go into scouts for a little bit. Um, I really struggled with scouts. I, I am an Eagle Scout recipient. Um, and we'll go into that in a few seconds, but, you know, the struggle with Boy Scouts is it is very, um, they tell you what men are. Men go camping, men do all of this stuff. And, um, you know, in all, in all honesty, I did hear some homophobic remarks from boys in, in the scouting program. Most of the time they were good, but I still was aware of, of boys within my, within my ward and stake that, you know, thought I was gay and thought they would tell me that. Um, and I love the young women's program. I still am a huge supporter of that. Um, 
I wish we as men could say we are men of our heaven or we are sons of our heavenly father who loves us and we love him. Um, I just, I really connected with those young women values and I felt safer among girls. And so scouts was so hard for me. It, I, I struggled with it, but I stayed with it because of great respect for my parents. Um, the main reason why I got my Eagle Scout award was because I did support what the Eagle Scout program stood for. My parents didn't really push me into the Eagle Scout getting that award, but, um, you know, it worked out. I got a set built for a play that I was directing, um, with my, with my teacher. And I, um, I still like what the boy scouts support, except I remember the scout promise said that I would promise to be morally straight and I'm not straight anymore, but you know, (laughs) you win some and you lose some, right? Uh, But one thing I do want to discuss is a young men, my young men's president, who just completely changed the trajectory of my life. Um, he's since passed, but what's his name? Ross Skank. I love him to pieces, and I really do think he he um, he just changed my life because I. I can't ask him this now, but he must have seen that I didn't feel comfortable in scouts. And unlike other church leaders in my ward who I felt like were trying to push me into this mold or uh, I have memories of talking with church leaders and knowing that they were treating me differently, you know, um, or that's how I perceived it. And I just felt uncomfortable, but this, um, the scout leader, he gave me personal one-on-one mentoring. I would come to his house on Saturday mornings and he um, would ask for my input as I was first assistant or whatever role I had in my, in my quorum at the time. Um, we would pray about specific members of our quorum and he just really, um, he gave me that, that mentoring and he, he saw the strengths that I had. He demanded respect So, which was great. Like I learned to be on time for the most part and, um, you know, and just growing up with that male role model that I needed. My dad was, you know, a role model to the best capacity that he could. And we can go into that later, but you know, this, this leader just really, um, really took me in and it, it made it for an easier transition from high school to my mission And at this point in my mission, or, you know, as I graduated high school, went to college, I still wasn't, I, I, I had a feeling that I had same sex attraction. That was how I identified at the time, but it was, it wasn't, um, it was to my parents. Actually, let's talk about that because my state president was, um, in college was a great, um, he, he kind of forced me to out myself to my parents. So, um, I had done all of my mission papers. I was so excited to go love Jesus. We were best friends, ready to go on a mission together. And I went to BYU, Idaho for my final, um, state president interview. And I told him in this final interview that I thought I might have same sex attraction. And he told me I would need to be given permission by a psychologist um, I, I would, I was supposed to go through some evaluation. And for those of you, um, who may not know how missions go, you know, at least for me, I called my parents and I said, I'm going into this meeting with my state president. I'm going to come out of this meeting and we are going to have a mission call sent in. And so when I came out of the meeting, wow. I couldn't tell them that my mission papers were going to be sent. So he, 
And my parents said, what happened? And I said, I told him I might have same sex attraction. And I just remember crying and crying. It was, it was a traumatic four weeks, I think, of waiting for this evaluation that actually never happened. Thank you, God. Shout out to him for not putting me through that. Um, because one day my papers were just sent in. Um, now we're going to fast forward to, um, I, you know, yeah, go in, please ask. I questions. just love your, I love Ross. Yes. Your love scout him. leader. And I love some of the things you said there that he didn't try to force you into a, a mold, no. but he tried to see you for who you are and your unique Christ-like attributes and build on that. And how much that helped you to just feel like you belong based on who you are versus who you felt like you needed to be to fit in. And and what a wonderful principle of ministering that is. And so that guy's gone, but I think of young men's leaders listening to the podcast and and as they think of their stewardship responsibility or young women's leaders and see everybody created a little differently and sort of honoring that and how that's, you know, and point everybody to Christ like you're talking about. And one of the things we'll talk about in this podcast is Bishop and Sister Steele in your YSA ward in Tempe. And they're, you know, great. I, you know, for everything you've told me about them, if you two are listening, I'm just so grateful for who you are and what you're doing for RJ and, and your YSA ward. And that will be a wonderful part of the podcast as, as you share what they're doing and what we all can do then in a similar way to help everybody feel welcome. And I, I just, just to finish off with that, um, I think it's so easy to, to vent about leaders who don't do things right. And there is a place for that. There is a place for, um, frustration, but over the next, you know, over the course of this podcast, I really want to focus on people who are doing things right. And so we, we see, um, Roz Skank and, and just his amazing example of, of seeing my gifts and and just helping me grow and become that person without telling me that I needed to change who I was. Um, the next example of that was my mission president, which I haven't told you a lot about before. So um, my mission president, his name is Jason Willard. Hoping I have permission to say his name. If not, it's fine. He's a great person. So um, I had been in my, and I had been in the mission field for about a week when a pretty traumatic event happened in my mission. This is another like whew, emotional thing to share. Um, it was my birthday and it was also my first companionship inventory for you non-mission people. Companionship inventories happen at the end of your weekly planning and you and your companion get to talk about what each other is doing well and what each person can improve on. And you talk about what you as what, you know, what you can do better. Anyway, it can be a really uplifting experience. Mine wasn't, um, my, my sweet trainer, um, told me that I was too feminine to be a missionary and that was, yeah, like, let's just let that sink in. Um, he said that, um, I was, too friendly with the sisters <laughs> in the ward, which of course that's where I felt comfortable. I lived in an all male elder house. My, my district and zone of missionaries had no sisters. So I had very little contact with, with my safe zone of women. And so the only time I got that was with the members where I could be friendly, where I could, you know, embrace that feminine side of me. And, um, and that really broke me, not to the point that I wanted to go home. That was never on the table. 
Um, but it started this cycle that would come up multiple times with my mission president of what can I do to be more manly? And the list was things like, <laughs> I'm laughing because it's true. It was things like learn to play soccer, be more organized, be more strict. So, um, a week later, a miracle happened and it was, I got to interview with my mission president again. It was quarterly interviews. And I brought this up to my mission president. And I said, you know, this is what happened, president. Um, I have this list of how he can be more manly. And, um, and I also, oh, I opened up to my mission president that I thought I had same-sex attraction or, you know, something was going on with same-sex attraction. And if I just think we need to recognize the fact that my mission president could have sent me home at the time. I've heard stories. We know that um, I recognize the how blessed I was to have such an accepting mission president because he um, he just said, Elder Rosuenio, you have gifts that you need to share with the mission. God sent you here for a reason. Um, you are so loving. You can communicate well. I'm going to put you with companions that need some extra love because I told him too, that all I came to do on a mission was to love. That was my purpose in life. And so he just took that and said, Elder Rosuenio, let's just focus on you loving and blessing this mission and this country and bringing people closer to God. That's cool. Yeah. That is really cool. And I don't know where he got that, but I have to think he's close enough with the Lord and and was with the Spirit and saw you the way our Heavenly Father saw you and saw your gifts and attributes and your ability to bless people. That's cool. And and it was so, like, what I really appreciated about that was I was able to use my feminine traits to bless the mission. Some quick, fun things on my mission. I um, just love you <laughs> on my feminine traits. Yes, love I, You know, I... I just love the way you own who you are. And it's a great sign of emotional and spiritual maturity, RJ. And it's, it, it makes me happy that you were able to be who you are at age 25 versus at some later time down the road. And, and that's the way this then allows you to have the life mission you're going to have because you're so confident and at peace with who you are. It's, it's really remarkable. And it's it's not it's not an easy road. I do credit, you know, God and and a great therapist and a great support system. But I again just to take this back to the listeners, whether you're LGBTQ who's afraid of being more feminine, or if you are a leader who um who just doesn't know how to act or you know doesn't know how to treat your the you know, your LGBTQ friends, I think that the overarching concept of your podcast, Richard, and of this message is if you just love them and if you help them see their gifts, then your life will be blessed. And this is actually, I have an invitation for some listeners if they want to. There is an amazing talk by President Irene that changed my life. It's called Help Them Aim High. It's a priesthood talk. I I want to say October 2012. I didn't look this up beforehand. And something that I did on my mission is I read the talk and President Irene talks about how if we, um, I'm going to generalize this to all humans, not just the priesthood leaders, but if we ask God 
what gifts and strengths he sees in his children and like specifically name the child. Like if, if I pray to God and say, God, what strengths and what gifts does Richard Osler have? He will tell us and he will guide us. And, and on my mission, I prayed for every single one of my elders that I was zone leader over. And I wrote them a letter saying what gifts that I felt that God had for them. And then I went searching in the stack of 30 general conference editions of the ensign. And I found a talk that represented them and I gave them to it, gave them that, you know, the talk that represented them. And that experience just changed my life. Changed their lives. Yes, it it did. I've, I heard great things from them, but I think that, um, just to quote my all time favorite book, the little prince, what is essential is invisible to the eye. And it's only with your heart that you can see, right? Um, and that was just something that carried with me throughout my mission and beyond. I wonder how many of those missionaries that received a talk, a general authority talk, what a great idea, RJ, that represented them. Um, I bet they've never forgotten that talk, and I bet many of them have used that talk in different times, not really referencing that this was a talk that someone thought was represented me. But there's this principle of ministering is, I love this idea, help them aim high. And, you know, you you give people... I think people grow through compliments and through vision about who they are. And even though each of those missionaries may not fully represented that general authority in that talk, it helped them to realize that's who you thought they were. And that's how God would want us to see. He sees us that same way. What a wonderful way to build people, RJ. Yeah, it was, it was very outside the box. That's kind of who you are. I, I am. And it's, and that's a good thing. You know, I think that, the more um, we own our individual quirks and our individual traits, the more fun life is. Um, I think I read in a Brene Brown book that, you know, once we realize people love us because of our imperfections, it's a lot better than people loving us despite our imperfections. Um, But yeah, so that was my mission. My mission was so fun. Um, (laughs) I, at times I had, I was a district leader of, only sisters. And that was my favorite thing. We sang as sisters in Zion for our opening hymn. We, uh, they sometimes call me the Relief Society president, <laughs> but it was so fun. And I, I honestly loved my mission. Um, as hard as it has been to come out to eventually leave the church. And even when I did that, um, I felt a sense of peace, but you know, the Jesus that I came to love within the Mormon church is the Jesus that I still love. And that's one reason why I mainly stay as much as I disagree um, with specific things. Church leaders have said and different doctrinal issues. I love Jesus and that's that. So um, just fast forwarding a bit. I got back from my mission in July of 2015, dated a girl for seven months. That was so fun. Um, Lanny. And I did come out to her and she was supportive of it. Um, it just, it didn't work out, which I think was a blessing. Um, did you come out with her with, oh. considering the possibility you two could get married? Yes. And I so, was, yes. And so I love, I love, I think that's a sign of, I like that, that, you know, in the dating process, if you're not straight out there, that you are coming out in the dating process and both of you are um, processing that as a dating couple, because that 
you know, obviously that didn't work for you, but I love the maturity of, of you coming out to your, somebody you're dating and having that be part of the discussion. And it, it, looking back, it was interesting because she, she's a great woman and I still talk to her. Love you, Lanny. Um, she and I were just that perfect power couple. Um, she was in theater at the time at BYU, Idaho, and I, she was acting, she was the lead in a play and I was playing piano for a choir. And it was that perfect Mormon dream of, you know, if I had been straight, you know, who knows what great Mormon lifestyle I would have lived. And I, and as much as I wanted to live that, I, I think that we both knew she more than me. Um, I think she could tell that it just wasn't going to work out for me and that, you know, and I, I really respect her for that. But that was really hard because, you know, we we ended our relationship in April of 2016. And I I tried to date women for a year and a half and nothing was working. And it caused a lot of struggle for me. Um, emotionally. Emotionally, yeah. I overwhelmed myself with a lot of extra humanitarian work, which I don't regret. But, you know, I, I just dove into school just completely because I, because I wasn't sure what was going to happen to me relationship wise, because I could tell that I wasn't fitting in. And I was starting to come to terms more with the fact that maybe it's not that I have same sex attraction, which is um, what a lot of church leaders use. And from a, from a grammar perspective, you know, when you look at having same sex attraction versus being gay, having same-sex attraction applies that you can give it back to someone or someone gave it to you. Whereas being gay is it's part of your core identity. That's very helpful. Yes. Which is, um, and so in May of 2017, so, you know, about a year after um, Lanny and I had ended our relationship, I was called to be elders quorum president. And I was in Logan at the time. Um, I transferred up to Utah state and I, I was nervous. I prayed to God and I, as you know, Richard and as a lot of my close friends know, I have a very personal relationship with God. I don't like that we say the thou, thine, thine in English because in Spanish we talk to God as if we're best friends. And so I, I've adopted that into my, um, my vocabulary. And so I prayed to God and I said, God, I, I'm gay and I'm, I think I'm going to leave the church. I don't know if I should accept this calling as elders quorum president, but I don't want, I, my family knew that I had been offered the calling and I, and I just wasn't ready to decline the calling and, you know, and go through those steps of telling them why at the time. And, um, God, I just felt so peaceful and I, I'll never forget the Holy ghost or whoever it was just said, RJ, I, I want you. Well, first off, they said, RJ, you will, you will leave within a year. You will leave the church within a year. But I, I, I want you for the next few months, so please stay. We have some work that we need to do together. And I said, okay, God, that's fine. Go and do, baby. So um, so I took the calling, loved it, did great. But in October of 2017, um, I watched conference, and a lot of my LGBTQ friends will remember the talk that President Oaks gave. And I actually have a quote from it just so not to call President Oaks out, but so people can realize as a, as a closeted 
elders quorum president what this quote means. He said, those who do not believe in or aspire to exaltation and are persuaded by the ways of the world consider this family proclamation, proclamation of the world, as just a statement of policy that should be changed. And that's what got me out of the closet, and that's what got me to leave the church. It was kind of just this punch to the gut. Um, I had known that I didn't really support the family proclamation. On my mission, I never really focused on marriage between a man and a woman. I focused on other cool parts. Um, But to hear that and to reread it made me second-guess my desires to be exalted. What did that statement mean to you? What? If you're sharing with our listeners what yeah. you heard there, help our listeners understand that. Um, that statement sent the message to me that if I didn't support the family proclamation entirely, that I wasn't deserving of exaltation. It was very much an all or nothing, either or approach, which... <laughs> is very much a fixed mindset, um, a mindset of either you do it or you don't, either you're with us or against us. And that was the first time I'd considered, which is crazy going from this Jesus loving person that I am. But I, I honestly sat with myself and said, you know what, RJ, maybe, maybe you're against them. If I can't be completely with them, where's that space for me? Which is what so many of us LGBTQ folk experience is when the church teaches you're either for us or against us, what does that mean for those of us who, who are still struggling? Where's that middle ground? Um, and so, you know, that was in October of 2017. And was that before you accepted the call or that was that, after? That was after. That was about you, four months after. After you accepted the yeah, call. Yeah, and to give you a time frame, the next month I— um, I kissed a guy for the first time or I started kind of, you know, exploring my sexuality of being gay. And, um, and by December I was out to my, to my mom. Um, she'd already known my parents knew that I had had same sex attraction. I have all these quotations over this. Um, but that was the first time where I told my mom, no, I'm going to start dating men. And, um, talking about my parents for a little bit, it's it's been rough. I don't want to act like it's been easy, and I think that my parents will agree with that. Um, I told my mom in December of 2017 that I was dating men, and um, she just wanted me to be happy. And her definition of happiness, and for both of my parents, was happiness resides within following the gospel principles and getting married in the temple and um, living this heterosexual lifestyle or celibate lifestyle, which still does not make sense to me, but I respect people who do that. But anyway, um, and so that was their biggest concern. My mom's biggest concern, um, was how, what is my standing within the church, which she's since come to realize over time that, that, um, that kind of takes away from the LGBTQ person's own journey and takes away from how are you emotionally? You know, it takes away from focusing on it. It just, (laughs) sorry, people who've done this before. It's very selfish. Um, 
because when we come out, we're hurting. We don't know where to go. We're lost. We're not prepared to go from the Mormon culture to the gay culture. They're both very extreme, very extreme places to go from. There's no yellow brick road to take you from the Mormon land to gay land. It's kind of like this lava, you know? <laughs> I mean, people are building bridges, which is great. But anyway, and so it was it was hard. And I, um, my dad has some health issues, has had some health issues most of my life. So I didn't tell my dad until March. I told my dad three months later. And by that time, everyone in my family knew except my dad. Um, in fact, at a family Christmas party, everyone in the room knew that I was gay except my dad. So it made it really fun. Um, and I told my dad at a Chili's because whether or not my dad accepted me being gay, I got dinner. So, you know, to my gay friends, it's an idea. And, and it was hard for my dad. Um, both of my parents, it was really hard. We, we had a lot of fought, we had, we fought a lot. And it was a lot of just struggling to understand where the other person was coming from. But one thing I do want to say is my mom and I have a really great um, relationship where we would get into arguments, but then a few hours later, we would talk about it and explain why we were hurt. And if I can give any advice to people, it would be to follow that because it's okay to be angry. It's, it's that, ex that means that there's a lot of hurt underneath. But you, we need to foster an environment where people can talk about those feelings in a healthy way. Um, Just a comment. Yeah, yeah um, please. You're doing such a great job, RJ. Thank you. So what, what do we do just if we're, I'm an active member of the church. Yeah. Um, and so what do I do when I hear someone share something that's uncomfortable for them about one of our church leaders like RJ just did? Do we? What do we do in that situation? I'm just asking that as a leader, as a yes. listener on the podcast. And the way I handle that is I just honor our, how RJ feels. And I think it's a principle of ministering that even if I don't feel exactly the way that RJ feels about that conference talk, that I give him permission to feel that way. And I try to understand, and I don't have to necessarily make RJ not feel that way, to feel like he's a full member of the church. And he's welcome. So it's just his lived experience and how that part of that talk was very difficult for him. And I think if we made a litmus test for all our members to never have something in any general conference talk that was ever uncomfortable for them and just said, those are the only people that are welcome in our congregation, we're going to have really small congregations. So I can support and sustain our leaders and not agree with every single thing that they say about every single issue. And that's just the way I handle that. And so this isn't, neither RJ or I are trying to be critical of our leaders, but I think acknowledging a pain of a leader, and I'm sure I created pain in people's lives at times as a YSA bishop, I have to acknowledge that pain to heal that pain. And so that's just the way I handle that. Um, and I'm, so I think it's great that RJ, in a very thoughtful way, just shared a difficult experience. My favorite quote that I heard from a TED Talk, this is by a guy named Dylan Moran. If you guys want to Google it, this is the title of his TED Talk. Empathy is not endorsement. And that has just been a life changer for me because I know that even folks who are having um, faith crises, um, they don't feel like they can approach their church friends 
because the church friends refuse to listen, then maybe, maybe, um, members are afraid to hear what people have to say because they're afraid that their testimony will be tested. You know, I, I don't know, but I think the biggest thing to realize is that we're human. Um, when friends trust you with things such as faith crises moments or coming out or even leaving the church, a lot of times they just need a friend. They need someone to say, wow, that must be hard. Wow. Maybe I don't know the right things to say, but I'm here for you. What are specific ways that I can support you in your journey? Does that mean you're endorsing what they do? No, it's called being human. It's called just being, being there for someone. I, this reminds me of, um, our baptismal covenants we made. I reread the scripture last week. I think I'm so out of the scriptures now. I think it's Mosiah 18.8. I think that okay. sounds right. Okay. I'm so sorry if it's wrong people, but um, it's where, you know, we promise to mourn with those that mourn and comfort those that stand in need of comfort, even until death. And people quote that at baptisms, but it, how often we don't follow that. We're like, Comfort those that stand in need of comfort unless like they're leaving the church or unless they're coming out of the closet, then we need to remind them that we don't agree with what they're doing. No. You know, when, when Jesus, Alyssa Edwards brought this up in her podcast recently, you know, um, the woman caught in adultery, Jesus didn't say, hi, go and sin no more, but also I don't agree with what you're doing and you're doing the wrong thing, right? Like he, in, in a talk that I gave, and we're, we'll probably discuss this in a few minutes, um, I came out to my word over a talk when I went back to church activity and I talked about how Jesus sat where he felt comfortable in that moment. Um, he sat with the woman caught in adultery cause he felt comfortable there. He, you know, he stood up to talk to the men who had tried to throw rocks at her and then he went back down and, and sat with her. And I think how many times are we just sitting with people in, in the hardness and the hardships that they're going through? Um, and yeah, I just, you know, it's, it's a hard, it's hard to it's go really through. Good. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, just one other thing you that. brought up. Yes. Um, we've never really talked about in this podcast is this phrase you brought up, you either for, for us or you're for, against us. And I have certainly believed that and, and largely do believe that, but I read Brene Brown talking about that. I can't remember where RJ, maybe braving the wilderness. Love that book. And she talked about maybe that isn't the best way to always approach everything and that we can find it may polarize us prematurely and it may divide us prematurely with that sort of me mentality. You're either for us or you're against us. And so in the case of RJ feeling uncomfortable about parts of that talk or maybe the whole talk, mm -hmm. um, if I sort of polarize RJ, I just may polarize him right out of the church versus sort of give RJ permission to be uncomfortable with some parts of our church, but love a lot of our church as a way for RJ to feel like he belongs here and he's welcome to stay as he's making his way forward in life the best way he can without polarizing it for RJ. Cause I think we lose guys like RJ if we polarize it pretty quickly like that. So just a thought, cause we need people like RJ to stay in our church. And I don't know how lots long, how that's going to work for you long-term. You're obviously active in your YSA word. And we're going to talk about that, but we're better off for having people like RJ in our church. And he's going to talk about his service that he's doing in his Tempe YSA ward. And that ward is better off because RJ is a member of that ward. And let's segue into that. Cause okay. it's perfect timing. So just so the listeners know, I continued as elder scorn president until December of 2018. So around the time I came out to my mom and then 
perfect timing. God is so good. I'd already decided to move into an apartment away from my parents. I'm about 20 minutes into town. So I, um, I got an apartment with, um, with a friend there, a friend from my ward. It was nothing scandalous. People thought something scandalous was going on. No, it was not. Um, we just moved out and I took that time to take a break from the church, um, which I felt like was very healthy. It was so, it was good for me to just breathe, not have any responsibility on me, kind of figure out who I was and allow myself to be angry. It is okay to be angry, my friends. Um, <laughs> so I just let myself sit in that anger and kind of sort through it. And then, like Richard said, um, I was offered a very, um, very generous scholarship to attend Arizona State University. Full ride scholarship. Yes. RJ, that's a big full ride, deal. Full ride, except for one semester, which was still expensive, but yes, full ride besides that. And, um, and you went from Logan to Arizona. To Arizona what a yes. climate change. Right. And I knew no one there. I just went for, just went for fun. And to, you know, I, yeah, when I got that offer and I, I had a very generous offer to stay at Utah State as well. I, I loved it in, in Logan, but my parents and I were just really struggling. My parents lived 20 minutes away and it, I just had such a tight knit relationship with my parents, especially my mom, that to go through what we went through, just it really, we both my yeah, it was, it was hard. Relationships are hard. So I took it and I went to Arizona and I ended up getting an apartment. I didn't move into LDS housing. I, I was on the Facebook page for LDS YSA housing. And I said, Nope. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I was interested in going back to my ward. So I remember seeing when you the, said going back to your ward. Yeah. Be for the first time. Oh yeah. For the first time in, okay. Yeah, going for, back to church. Going back to church. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, yeah. And in Logan, I went on and off, but it was mainly to support other friends who wanted me to go with them. So, um, so you know, I looked up my bishop's name. His name was Kendall Steele. I said, "Sounds like a nice guy." And I and I started having these conversations with God, and I said, "Okay, God, I kind of want to go back, but I'm nervous." Um, and I, I said, I said, listen, God, I'll go back to church on, but I have two requirements you need to fulfill. I said, first and foremost, um, I need, I, I want to be openly gay in my ward and I want to be accepted for that. No, no more closeted stuff. And then number two, I said, I really want a pipe organ. <laughs> a pipe organ. I really, I feel like this is me on Christmas day. I want a pipe organ for Christmas. And honestly, the I felt like both both things that I wanted were not going to happen because pipe organs do not are not very common in, in churches anymore. Um, they're very expensive. I play organ. I took some organ lessons when I was in college and it's my favorite calling. And anyway, so I thought none of them were going to happen. And so, um, you know, I remember walking into my, to my ward the first day, this was at the Arizona state university Tempe. And and give, this is September. Yeah. Oh of, yes. Thank you. August of 2018. So I had been inactive for eight months, whether that's a long time or a short time you decide. And so, um, so I walk in, this is yeah. Day three of my mom had just left. I was on my own for the first time, big city. And I just remember walking in and I'm greeted by this huge pipe organ. I mean, the pipes are immaculate. The mute, like the musician in me is just in awe. I remember taking a picture and sending it to my mom because I think we were all in shock that I ended up in a ward with a pipe organ. Um, 
And so I just remember saying, okay, God, look, one of my wishes was granted. Let's see if, if the second one is granted. And so I don't know. Oh, yes. So we had linger longer after on the first day. And I'd filled out a form saying like, what callings would you like? And I said nothing about being elder scorn president because Heavenly Father will never put me in that calling again. So it asked maybe prior callings. Yes, yes and you prior were, callings. You oh, weren't going to listen no, to church no, resume stuff. No, no, no. I put like ward music chair because I'd done that. I put like, like I put all the music callings because I said, put me in a music calling. And so um, I ended up introducing myself, I think, to my bishop's wife or sister seal because she's just so sweet. She just has one of those bubbly personalities. And I said, okay, I'll be her friend. And so I told her that, um, you know, I wanted to be, I wanted to help with the music. She said, you'll have to meet my husband, Bishop. And so I went up to him and this is again, you guys, God is so good. So he comes up to me and, um, and somehow we find out we had served in the same mission wow, in Bolivia. Quickly. Yeah. And so I think I'd put on the form. And so he said, oh, you served in Bolivia? And I said, yeah. And he said, me too. And so we bonded on that. And then he said, also, um, you play music. We've been praying for you. We've been praying for, um, a new ward organist, new ward choir pianist. And I kid you not, in cultural, in the cultural hall, I look at him and I laugh and I say, like, <laughs> like I don't know, I'm gay. You know, I flat out told him. You were just right there yeah. at the ward mingle. Oh, yeah, because I was ready to be shot down. Um, or also I just wanted to be up front, you know, and and I, I think he just shrugged his shoulders and said, okay, when do you want to meet? You know, he, he, he didn't care. He said, that's fine. We really... Um, we need you here. And some people have responded poorly to the story because they say, well, maybe that's just because you're a musician, but you know what? I feel like any LGBTQ member, when people realize the church needs us, when they realize our gifts, when they realize our talents, they will be asking us to stay. And I think this is a sign of what's going to happen in the future. So he and I met later that day. That day. Yeah. How cool is he that? He said, when are you free? I said, I have nothing to do. I just moved here. So how <laughs> cool is that? And how cool is he didn't send you off to your exe- his executive secretary to schedule something up? He just scheduled it directly with you for that day. Yeah. And and it was, and his executive secretary was great. I think I might've gone through the, but he just said, I have time today. Talk to my executive okay, secretary. We'll squeeze you in. But it was still great. It wasn't come back Wednesday. It was, what, can we meet today? Yeah. Sounds good. Um, and it was just really cool because, um, I, I taught, so I taught, I continued to talk to my Bishop and his wife on a pretty frequent basis about LGBTQ issues. And that first interview with him that Sunday, did, did he talk about you being gay? Yes. And that's, that's what I want to talk about. I talked to him about a month ago and I asked more in-depth information on this story. And he said that, um, what his memories are is, I presented him an ultimatum, which, oops, <laughs> not the, anyway, it's, it's what I did. And I said, okay, Bishop, um, I would love to be in this ward, but I'm gay. And either you're going to accept me for who I am and we're going to have a great relationship here. And, and I want to be here and this will work out great. Or you're not accepting of that, which I understand and I'll head out my way and it just won't work out. And my bishop had not had a lot of experience working with the LGBTQ community. He's very aware of his imperfections, which I think is great. It's a very growth, very good growth mindset. But he said that in that moment talking with me, God just spoke to him and said, you need RJ's talents. Not you need RJ's musical talents, but RJ is needed 
in this ward, he needs to stay. And my bishop said it was just such a spiritual experience for him. Um, I'll be honest with the listeners. He um, he asked if I wanted to work towards a temple recommend. Um, I said no. And that he was very respectful of those boundaries. Um, I said that I just wanted to, to enjoy the community, to enjoy my relationship with God. And that I... Um, I wanted to just feel comfortable and we left it at that. And, um, and yeah, that was, that was our initial meeting. I wonder if that experience had been different, if you would have ever come back to church or Jay, you know, and I just wonder if that, if Bishop Steele and Sister Steele and what's happening, you know, I don't, I know you probably don't know your future, but I have to think that, that was a real critical day for you. Um, and I just get tenderhearted because there's so many people that are so on the, just on that edge and that single experience they can have with a local leader or a friend or somebody at church, just helping someone feel needed and belonging and kind of meet them where they are and accept them for where they are. And I think it's fine. He asked you about the temple recommend. And I think it's fine that, you just felt like that wasn't your focus right now. And he just said, well, you can set the agenda. I will walk with you as you as you set the agenda, and I will just support you in your goals. And that, to me, seems just fine. And back to this, either you're for us or against us, you know, I guess the extre- the truth of that would be our, you're, you're wanting to come unto Christ. <laughs> uh, I want to come unto Christ. Bishop Steele wants everybody in his ward to come unto Christ. So there's really not much for us against us. You're clearly not on Satan's team, RJ. <laughs> um, you're clearly not, you know, trafficking kids into sex trafficking or, you know, the very worst things that Satan's doing, mass shootings in El Paso or um, all the different things that Satan's doing to destroy families. You're not anywhere connected to that. That's so opposite you. So that to me is either for us against us. That is pure satanic work that using those couple of examples. So yeah, keep sharing your story. Yeah, and um, one thing that I think is beautiful about these relationships that I've built um, since I've come back to church now, it's it's been a year now, wow, has, has been seeing that we all, we're all equal in, in, in sinning and having and making mistakes. And, and it's been so great for me to see members of the church not viewing my homosexuality as a bigger sin than them, you know, what doing whatever sins you do. And that's where I think we struggle as gays is, or as members of the LGBTQ community is we're easy targets because people can see who we are and they can decide, Oh, that's a sin. Oh, we're going to treat them differently. And this is actually something I brought up in a talk. The, um, sure that talk. Yeah. Let me share. Yeah. So after I'd been in the ward for about two weeks and a member of the bishopric came to me and said, Hey, RJ, we'd like for you to speak in church. And I said, oh, <laughs> he said, okay, what, what would you like me to speak on? And he said, missionary work. I don't, I don't know if he knew I'd been inactive for eight months, but that was not, <laughs> I, I struggled with that topic because I just remember sitting in my car and saying, missionary work. I don't, I don't even, <laughs> I was just so confused. So I prayed to God and I said, okay, God, we're going to stick to this topic, but let's find a way to talk about missionary work 
in a different way. And it, it wasn't my intention to make this a coming out talk, but it is, it happened. And my bishop, um, I, I feel like I did this in a very respectful way. Um, my bishop wasn't in the, um, at, in our ward or attending sacrament meeting the day that I gave the, gave his talk, but I, I called him or, you know, I got in communication with him and I said, I'm thinking about coming out and I'm thinking about giving this talk. I, I want it to be in a spiritual way. I want it to be sharing something that is really important to me. And he was very supportive of it. I emailed him my talk before I gave it, got his approval. And I just want to share um, some things with the audience, listeners, people about this talk. Um, the bit, the, my, my thesis was that the most important missionary work we can do right now is walking with others and listening to them. Um, and, and just starting out my talk, I go back to the, to the, my, one of my favorite hymns, I'm a child of God. And the chorus speaks to the need, the need of walking together without referring to the person or the persons we walk with. You know, we sing, lead me, guide me, walk beside me, help me find the way. Um, and I just, I started out by asking the members of the congregation, who, who are we walking with? Are we, are we walking with people who need us? Are we walking with the savior? Because the paradox of life is that we are broken yet whole. We are broken because we struggle to feel accepted, loved, and forgiven. We have been lied to, but we have also lied to others. We have been betrayed, but have also betrayed our loved ones. However, we become whole as we look beyond others' scars and bruises and dig deeper to find that their hearts are the same as ours. And and I think that was a great introduction to or just a great introduction yeah, to missionary work in general is I just feel like it's so easy for us to look at people's sins and to judge them and to be the savior. And like we, I, that's the savior's job. We're just here to love and we're here to help people grow closer to Christ. Um, yeah. What other <laughs> Richard? I just love some of, of this talk, just read this. you know, yeah. <laughs> My belief is the most important missionary work we can do right now is walking with others and listening to them. It's a work a devoid. It's a work devoid of throwing stones and cashing judgment. It is a work that enables us to live like the Savior and reach our highest potential. And then I love what you said about the. I've thought a lot about the woman cast into adultery, and what, um, why that parable exists, R.J., and what it's trying to teach me. Um, but I love, you know, some of the Savior of the world who was born in a lowly manger, manger returned. And I'm, everybody, I'm reading RJ's talk here, returned. I'm not reading a general conference talk. It's just <laughs> as good, though. Returned to where he felt most comfortable with the meek and humble woman who'd been shoved to the ground. This woman, whose heart may have been closer to the Savior than the Pharisees, was the one being judged and condemned by men who considered themselves to be better because they only knew how to follow rules. The Savior stood up for a moment to answer the questions and returned to be with the woman whose broken heart and broken body was yearning, was yearning to be made whole. Just really very thoughtful. And then you 
talk about the Pharisees in this talk, but mm-hmm. then you sh- actually show kindness to the Pharisees. <laughs> so you talk about how we can all become like the Pharisees, and I think that is in the Bible for our day. What do I do? I'm 58. What do I do that models um, the behavior of the Pharisees as I judge others? And then you even extend judgment to the you ex, even extend kindness to the ther, Pharisees. You want to read that section? Do you have that or? Yeah, let me hear if you can point to it, and then I'll. <laughs> and I can't find. Yeah, it. We're both okay. now looking yeah, I, through RJ's talk. Um, but I thought what, but I thought you brought accurate criticism, but then you brought empathy for ah, them. Ah, yes. Okay, so this is a. Um, it says I said many of us can say that we have felt ourselves in the shoes of the woman caught in adultery. Many of us have been bullied or have had our mistakes put on blast by others or have been gossiped about. This is not okay. If we have felt so much hurt from being thrust to the ground by judgmental people, why is it so easy for us to become a Pharisee? Why is it so easy to go from being helpless on the ground to picking up a stone and throwing it at someone we love? For some, it could be that the shame that comes from being thrust to the ground is too painful to relive. We find ourselves killing others emotionally so that we don't become the victims. I see where this thinking comes from and I can relate, but we need to stop living this way. We need to stop seeing sins and, weakness, sins and weaknesses and problem, as problems that separate us. It is time to look at the person next to us and see them as broken as we are. Who am I to judge another when I walk imperfectly, a hymn teaches? In the quiet, heart is hidden, sorrow that the eye can't see. I don't see the Pharisees as bad people. I see them searching for belonging, but finding themselves in the wrong crowd. Each of us wants to belong, and we need to make our community one of acceptance and vulnerability so that others will want to belong as well. Um, That's really powerful. And the lines that I underlined when I read that, we need to stop seeing sins and weaknesses as problems that separate us. I just love that, Arche. Because um, we need, and then you talk about we're all a little broken and we all need each other to heal ourselves. And if we, we have to be able to develop a culture that I think Christ taught by his personal example in our wards where people can feel like they belong in their sins and weaknesses. And it's not just our perfect best selves that present ourselves because that's just emotionally exhausting to have to be perfect for everybody that be around. But it's just powerful what you're teaching. And it is the doctrine of Christ. And, and one thing I really... And it pre- doesn't mean we're not making progress in life. It's not mean we're just enjoying our sins and weaknesses, but we need community to make progress. And that's the beauty of the growth mindset, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard of by Carol Dweck, is when when we recognize that we're all making mistakes and we're all growing, then we're more willing to empathize with each other and more willing to see ourselves as human, as, as growing human beings, which I know that many of our listeners are um, are listening to know how to work better and how to you know build strong relationships with the LGBT community. The first piece of advice that I have is recognize your imperfections. Recognize that you're going to make mistakes. You may say things that are incorrect, but we're all growing and, and recognize have that humility to 
to make those mistakes and to ask for forgiveness when needed because no action is still action. Um, if you decide to not interact with the LGBT community um, because you're scared, you're still, you're still making a decision. And I wanted to um, just go, go to the end of this talk because, you know, I, I talked, I, I gave, I did my little analysis of that parable. Then I talked about coming out and, and, and that, that part of it. And then I finished by talking about the parable of the good Samaritan. Um, and this, this is directly from my talk as well. The savior teaches that even two good Christian people are imperfect enough to leave a dying man on the street. The guide to the scripture states that quote, the parable of the good Samaritan shows the hatred that the Jews had developed for the Samaritans because the Samaritans had apostatized from the Israelite religion. Close quote. And then I go on to say, a Samaritan, a man hated and despised because his people had left the predominant religion at the time, was the only one who was willing to answer the call to help the dying man. I get emotional because I think of how many of my friends who have left the church and who, um, who I see as so much more spiritual or just have this intense spirituality, even though they left the church, but a lot of church members refuse to talk to them anymore and they feel alone. And I, I just, I hope that one day we all can see that whether or not people are in the church or out of the church, that, you know, we're all, we're all human and we're doing our best and, yeah, so that was that was my talk. It, it was well received. Was, yeah. yeah, it was well received. I'm so I was so nervous. I remember, you know, um, coming out over the pulpit and just I think I heard a couple of audible gasps and you know and but it was so good and and I'm just so grateful that our generation millennials are just so rocking with um, <clears throat> with sharing vulnerable stories over the pulpit. Uh, I was in a Spanish branch this past Sunday, and a woman, uh, a gal there, just shared an, uh, you know, a vulnerable story. And I think vulnerability is what brings us closer. And I, I'm, I'm tired of this inauthenticity in the church where we just pretend that everything is fine when it's not. We need these stories of imperfection. We need these stories of how we come closer to the Savior and grow through our imperfections, because that's what connects us. That's what makes us a great community. And, um, Anyway, now going from then on, from September to now, I was eventually called as ward music chair, which is so much fun. I'm in charge of musical numbers. I play organ a couple times a month. Is that organ as good as you hoped it would be? Oh my gosh, it's amazing. I love it so much. I wish I had more time to practice. Um, I, I'm a self-proclaimed ministering angel. For those of you who don't know what that is, when the church came out with ministering, I didn't like that term. So I dubbed myself a ministering angel and um i'm a ministering angel to the elders quorum president his first counselor and um the relief society president and her sister i was only originally assigned to the relief society president and her sister but um and i love them both but i realized the elders quorum president didn't have a ministering angel so i um i volunteered to be his ministering angel and who knows i might be ministering to the entire ward by the time this ends because there might be a waiting list but it's so much fun um 
the LGBTQ community, we understand what it means to love God. We're understanding. We have increased empathy. We just have so many gifts. And I just, I love ministering to, um, to my people. And, you know, sometimes we'll just chat in the car. We'll go for a walk. Um, Talk about yeah. the men in your ward. I yeah. assume obviously most are straight or um, there may be yeah, a few. Sure. What's it like? Do you, cause you've talked about, it's been hard to create connection with men at times and women that connection has come easier yeah now you're out as gay in your ward and you're is it do you create better connections with men now because you're able to be who you are and they just love you for who you are and they're i don't know no and that's why i'm laughing because it's the truth i remember moving into my ward you know the first day i walked in and and um I was so nervous because I said, okay, either these guys are going to react well to me or they're not. Um, and even my bishop and his wife had said they were kind of nervous because we have a variety of, of, of masculinity within our ward. And, you know, I, I love the guys in my ward. I, um, I'll be honest with you. I don't go to second hour of church, but it's mainly because of laziness than anything else. But, um, I go on trips with them. Um, we go out to dinners, we go, we have movie nights and, and it's, it's this dream come true for me because I didn't start really connecting with, um, with men on like a friendship level until, until he was elders quorum president, probably. Um, and I really do think that as I owned who I was as a gay man, the more willing I was to, I don't know. I just, I was more confident. I was, it was fun to work with. Um, anyway, it's, it's been a dream come true. And, and I, and I do think that sometimes people are concerned like, oh, this gay man is becoming friends with me and I'm a man. Is he going to try and hit on me? No, <laughs> we, um, you're straight. So no. Um, and it, it just makes such a fun relationship and, and we have great conversations and I, I don't know. My word is so good with just joking about being gay and they ask about my dates and I ask about their dates. And, and a lot of times I'm friends with these guys, girlfriends. And so it just, it just makes it so much more fun, but I don't, I do have the best ward. And, you know, just going back to when I was a ward music chair, when I got sustained in that calling, I want to say it was March or April. Mm -hmm. I have a horrible sense of time. My at family home evening, the day after I was sustained in my ward, my Bishop said, Hey, let's set you apart. I said, okay. I thought just, he was going to go in and do it. It was my entire bishopric and their wives that came in. And it was just this super spiritual experience where they thanked me for coming to their ward and teaching them love and taught, like, I don't even know if tolerance is the right word. It was just, I realized in that moment that I had taught them things that I had no idea I taught them by just being myself. Um, and it was just this beautiful experience where, you know, my ward asks about who I'm dating. They know that I'm dating men. They ask about, um, you know, LGBTQ issues, which is so important. You and Alyssa talked about, um, I think you used the word see-through, like being see-through. Yeah, I, 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 like, I like the word transparency better um, because, you know, transparent means is, is anyway, it's, it's my, one of my favorite terms because as LGBTQ folk, when we're transparent, people are more willing to ask us questions. They're able to make mistakes with us. They're able to say, oh, I'm not sure if I'm saying this right, but how do I use pronouns properly? Or what are pronouns? You know, just all of these different questions. And this is what's needed is, um, is 
you know, I just feel like members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I'm trying not to call you Mormons, um, they, they're nervous about who they can ask because they still, I don't, I don't know, they're just, sometimes they're, they're very picky about who they ask questions to. And so I feel like by members of the LGBTQ community being in the church, we're able to be there as a resource. And they're just, we can name tons of people who are doing this now. And it's just, it's so great because it's not, it doesn't count if I go to people who don't want to hear me and I say, you need to do this, this, and this, they're not going to listen. But it's when members of the church say, hi, I don't know how to, I don't know how to word this properly. I don't, I want to learn more about the trans community. So many people in my ward come up with questions. And if I don't know the answers, I, I get them, you know, I do my own research, but you know, people want to learn. I'm, I'm finding that members of the church want to be better. They just don't have proper resources. Um, I just yeah. I have to comment yes, on this, on the men in your ward yes. and the dream come true. Cause yes. I, you know, as I've done more of these podcasts, I've asked, I've sensed a common theme that having for the gay men, having straight men in their lives that accept them for who they are is very helpful for them just to emotionally feel good, feel like they belong. Um, Cause everybody needs commun. Everybody needs to feel like they're loved by everybody. And I love that part of the dynamic of this ward. And I have to think the good work you're doing with these straight men to better understand our LGBTQ friends. And it, it, Brene Brown says it's really hard to hate people close up, move in. And that's all, that's what happened for me as a singles ward bishop for the first time, really listening to gay men tell me about gay men, not straight men tell me about gay men. Um, and everything really shifted for me. So I think that's really awesome what you're doing. And I love this quote. We've kind of... We've kind of mentioned this quote, but it's a quote I think we both know. Fitting in is about assessing a situation and becoming who you need to be in order to be accepted. And you've been doing a lot of that, RJ. But belonging, on the other hand, doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. And that's what you're doing in your YSA ward. And Bishop and Sister Steele and your ward leadership is is seeing RJ for all his gifts and attributes and contributions. And they're creating a feeling of belonging because you're needed there. And they put you to work. And that can sometimes be complicated. I don't think sometimes people say, well, can I extend a calling to somebody who isn't following every rule in the church or doesn't have a temple recommend? And I think your board's doing a good job of there's lots of callings that do not, you know, do not require a temple recommend. I think ministering and and being in the ward choir, the ward music chair are a couple of those. So I love the way we're creating space and it and I kind of talk about this, and I think we talked about this before, that I think that the gate is wide at the congregation level. There doesn't need to be a belief or behavior hurdle to feel welcome in the congregation. I think that's what Christ taught in his ministry, that the gate narrows at the temple. There is more of a, there is a belief and behavior hurdle to go to the temple. But So I think what the ward is working really well for you because— and there and with you dating men, I don't know how the ward handles that. I don't know how the bishop handles that, but I, I would— handle that, I'd say, well, RJ, I'll leave that between you and the Lord. I invite you to stay within the doctrine of our church. Everything in my life that has happened good for me is because I've stayed in the doctrine of our church. So I'll just, you know, I'll invite you to stay. I'll invite you to follow the rules of the church, but I'm not going to make our relationship just about that. I want you to continue to tell me what's going on in your life. I want you to continue to uh, 
look at me as a friend, as a leader, as a mentor to help you make thoughtful decisions. You've got to kind of chart your own course on this. I'm not going to get ahead of you and sort of say, this is how it's going to work for you. I'll just invite you to live the teachings of our church and I'll practice the principle of agency or self-determination. At the end of the day, you've got to find the right path for you and I'll support you as, a, as much as I can. I think you can fully support somebody as they choose their path in life and just leave that at the Savior's feet. So for leaders listening, that's how I handle a situation when, uh, you know, if I were RJ's YSA bishop and knew he was dating men, yeah, that's kind of complicated. And some would say, well, that's just the first step to ending up in a same-sex relationship and being outside the doctrine of our church. And I think RJ knows that. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> and yes. so I think he's pretty familiar with the doctrine of our church and where that could lead. And so I'd want to create a safe space where RJ is just talking to me where that he feels my love and support and understanding that he is always talking to me and that, you know, whatever's going on in his life and he has a really bad date or a really bad situation or really abusive, he got himself into an abusive situation. He needed a trusted adult to sort of work through that and get out of that. I'd hope because I, I, I show so much love and understanding and want to know where RJ is and not always that he would feel that he would reach out to me and say, okay, Bishop, I've got myself in a really tough situation. I know you're the only guy that I can probably talk to about this because some of it's going to be kind of embarrassing. <laughs> yes. And, but I know you can go there with me and I know you love me and I need somebody in my life to talk to about a really tough situation. So just some thoughts on this. RJ, I don't know if any of that no, you want to come back to or you no, want to keep sharing me, it made me some think of your about, story. It um, made me think about Eve when she... Um, partook of the forbidden fruit. Um, you know, she she broke that commandment to fulfill a higher law. And I think about uh, the times that the times that I wish my friends had not been so blinded, not blinded, but you know what I'm trying to get at is. Like so much, like people feel like they can't talk or empathize or communicate with the LGBT community because you disagree with them in their beliefs at the beliefs level, at the policy level, at this macro level for, um, to use other words. But sometimes they feel like we need to let go of those, of like our beliefs. It's not about you when you're listening. It's never about you. It's about helping the other person feel comfortable, helping them feel like they're needed. Suicide rates are still so high. We have people who don't want to leave the church but feel kicked out and then they don't know where to go. The The path is hard. And I just, I hope that those who are listening can can really sense that, that it, it's a difficult road for us to be on. And honestly, when, when policy is thrust at us, when we're, when we're seeking for help and we kind of just get a smack with policy, that makes the the road even worse for us, and it drives us even into a, a a darker place. And so, this is your your time as a leader to bring light, and to just say, you know, just to put your feelings aside. We don't care about you. It's about the person that's confiding in you this this information, and just being there for them. I remember a story that hasn't been on a podcast, but one of our gay members told me uh, the time he went. I don't want to be critical of a bishop. He went and told a bishop is probably a single word bishop that he kissed his boyfriend. He said, the bishop just turned away in disgust. And he said, that was the last time I came to church. And I, I 
I would hope that we would look at anybody that opens up to us um, and say something like, well, that took a lot of guts to tell me that. <laughs> you know, let's talk about what's going on here. Um, and just if someone has the guts to share with you something going on in their life in a real vulnerable situation, I hope we can just sort of buckle in and lift that person, even if they're talking about sin, lift that person in a way that they feel lifted and, and recognize the courage it took to open up to somebody about what's going on in their life. Keep sharing more of your story, oh. RJ. <laughs> I think I want to kind of just transition into now different ways that I've done advocacy work or that okay. I've been learning. So again, I didn't really get involved with advocacy work, if that's what you call it, until I want to say March of this year. So, I mean, this is August. So it's probably been four months or so. Anyway, I don't know. Math is not my strong suit. I study speech. Um, so I, I got involved with an organization called Arizona LDS LGBT. Um, got introduced to the organization in December of last year. Um, but my schedule didn't permit me to get super involved until about March or April. It's a fantastic group. You've you've interviewed a lot of them and you're very close with, with the group there. Um and my life was really changed when I went to hug at Pride in April. We have Pride in April in Arizona because it's too dang hot any other month. Um, and I just went to help set up, but I ended up hugging for two days straight because um, Sweet Share, who was organizing the event, she's she's a mama dragon and she just is a great supporter. But, Tell her full name. Please. Oh, Cher McCoy, I think. I call yeah. her Cher Bear. I apologize. I don't know her last name. Cher Bear. <laughs> I love her. But anyway, so I'd, I'd come with a friend to help set up and there just weren't that many volunteers. So I ended up staying for two wow. days. And you're yeah. middle of a graduate program. Yeah, I know. I'm really sorry about the homework that was not completed that weekend. Um, so I stayed and this was conference weekend. And so um, I didn't have any issues staying for, for pride. And I, I hugged for two days and Richard, my life was changed. Um, they've had a Mormon hugging booth at Phoenix Pride, I want to say for four years now. Um, Bryce Cook has, is one of the ones that, that spearheaded that. And people are used to us now. They're used to our stickers. They come for our stickers and they come for our hugs. And people would come and we would just hear the most, I'm sorry, but heart-wrenching stories of, people who said like, my parents kicked me out because I'm gay. My parents won't accept me. I won't go back to church. Why are you in church? How are you able to stay? You know, and I just said, I am who I am. And, you know, they have to, you know, they'll learn to accept me and it's working fine. I invited people to church and, and it was, I mean, yeah, there were parents there who had left the church because their kids were being bullied. And it was just to be in, to just be there and to hear these stories and to just, give these people's hug, give these people hugs and say, it's going to be okay. My life was completely changed. And I said, okay, something needs to be done about this. So I did, I started doing my own research, which I recommend to people who are wanting to get more involved, do your own research. Um, there are so many great organizations out there that, um, that can help you. And, um, I ended up speaking at a conference about three weeks later. Um, it was the affirmation, um, conference combined with our organization and, um, and it was, it was a great five minute talk. It ended up getting almost a thousand views on YouTube. I was really surprised by that. And I just shared stories similar to this, but in five minutes and, and, and during that conference, I said, you know, we need to bring back LGBTQ Sunday school. 
And I, I know that they had done it the year before, but I said, let's, I just want to take this over myself. Why not? Not like I'm in grad school or anything. Um, so we do it every Sunday, every first Sunday of the month, as long as it, it's not, as long as it fits in people's schedules. And we have allies hosting um, the Sunday school and they provide the dessert. And we have LGBTQ folk teaching the lessons. We invite allies. I love when allies come because, um, because we're still a small group of people, the more people, the better. And people can mingle after. And you don't identify whether you're LGBTQ or whether you're an ally. So it's just great for people. I just say, okay, we have a member of the LGBTQ community teaching this lesson. It's going to bring us closer to God, the universe, whoever they believe in. And people just listen and 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 they love. And it's just this beautiful environment. Um and I'm sharing this because I know that people wonder how they can get involved in their community. If you have an LGBTQ, you know, if you know people who are LGBTQ, whether they go to church or not, accept them as they are. They do whatever they want, you know, just come in and just find a place where you can be accepted and where you can have a safe space to grow closer to, to God or the universe. Um, so I, I do that. Um, we have a transgender voice clinic at Arizona State University, so I've been able to work with the trans community a little That's bit. That's cool. Yeah, it's 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 such a rewarding experience. Um, and also another organization that I've um, attended a training for. I just um, I went to a training about three weeks ago. It was through an organization called Glisten, and um, the organization used to stand for Gay Lesbian Straight Educational Network. But now that we have many more acronyms, they've just named it GLSEN, and um, they have just such great resources on how to help um, train staff in the school setting. So I've become more aware of that. I've become more aware of the Trevor Project, which is a suicide hotline. And so, again, for all these people who are wondering, I have friends who said, what are different resources that I can have? Number one, you should be a good resource. You should be there. You should give a listening ear. But if you can't, you know, if you can't provide that, which is great because of boundaries, resources are available. Love that. And I, I've seen um, a couple states adopt what they're calling FH, um, LGBTQ FHE. One stake wanted to call it Sunday school, and they went to their area authority and they asked them to rename it FHE. <laughs> Just FYI. That's fine. Um, but I do. One of the things I've thought a lot about is the need for LDS LGBTQ members to have community. And I think a next chapter in the church's relationship with LGBTQ members is to make that more normalized. Right now, if you're LGBTQ, you need community, but there's very little places to go in the church for that. So you would logically go to pride parades or any sort of organization, and some of that can be helpful and some of that can be a lot of that is very helpful. I don't want to be critical of any of that, but it's not church-based. And and I've just felt like what RJ is doing and what a few other stakes are doing is to create community. So and, and LDS parents of LGBTQ children need community to walk this road together. So I'm hoping that somehow this gets normalized and, a, and there is an off-the-shelf program that a group of stakes or a stake could adopt that's just, okay, this is a Thursday night once a month. LGBTQ FHE, and this is how it works. And if you want to do this in a stake, it's completely fine to do this. And you could have allies night or parents night. Parents really need community. Um, and there's online Facebook groups. So to have that organized at a stake or multi-stake level seems like something that could be very, very helpful. 
um, as we just grow in this space. And I, I look at, and I think our listeners have heard this, I believe in the restored gospel of Jesus Christ and all the restored doctrine that came through Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants. Then there's the institutional side of our church that's working really hard to implement our restored doctrine. And this is just an area where there's more space. So I think those of you that listen to the podcast, sometimes we talk about shortcomings and we, this isn't a space where we're trying to be critical or take down the church, but I think we can mature as a church to recognize we have shortcomings and we just have work to do on the institutional side to fully match the doctrine of our restored church. So this part of the purpose of this podcast is to, is to kind of look inward, not in a critical way, but in just an honest way of how we can do better as a body of Christ. Because we do, I think we're mature enough and confident enough in our church that we can look inward and say we have work to do and sort of do that in a thoughtful way. And But to do that, I think you have to hear stories like RJ um, and to just talk about the pain he feels at times um, in different situations. So we're careful about that and honor that. Back to you, RJ. No, I love all of that. Um, there's a great book. I read a lot. Um, there's a great book called The Person You Mean to Be, How Good People Fight Bias by Dolly Chug, who is at NYU, I believe. And in this book, I was reading it this morning, um, she talks about um, being aware of our own blind spots in life. Because, I mean, when you even think about it, not just when we're driving, but when we see there, there are parts of our, of our sight that we can't see. And we need to be aware of those spots that, that may be causing trouble in our lives and that may be causing hurt among other people. And so I, I think that the minute we recognize that we're imperfect, that we have these blind spots and that we can change, that is just going to impact the world in, a, in, in such, just such a more positive way. Um, you know, I think about just a few, some data released from this organization called GLSEN that I wanted to share with the listeners. This is from Utah. You can look this up. It's called the National School Climate Survey, and they have it for each state. Um, and this, um, they, they collected survey data from um, over 25,000 students across the 50 states. And in Utah, um, I think these are students in the secondary school setting, so junior high and high school. 92% of LGBTQ students heard gay used in a negative way. 83% heard homophobic remarks. Um, and fewer than, oh, you know what? Um, let's do some positive too. And here I'm always a positive complainer. So nearly all of the students could identify at least one school staff member that was supportive of LGBTQ students but less than half could identify six or more supportive school staff. And so just some of these, this data, and again, you can access this all for free online. Um, we need to be aware that our youth are experiencing, are, are struggling. Well, not all of them are struggling, but many of them may be experiencing bullying at the school level. Um, they may be misunderstood. And just knowing that if they're experiencing that at the school level, chances are they're experiencing it at the church level, like I've shared. And it's just such a more better reason. It's, it's a better reason to support these kids at the home level. And I'm thinking about easy ways that parents can be supportive of our LGBTQ students in the home. I think about things such as, again, um, leaving policy to the side and asking about how their emotions are, how, um, how they're feeling if they need to talk to someone, recommending a therapist, 
um, just a personal opinion, LDS Family Services is good at sometimes, but not all the times. We're thinking about an LGBTQ affirming therapist. Um, talking to or just giving these kids um, good mentors of LGBTQ folks, something as simple as Queer Eye on Netflix or other TV shows where they can see that they're not doomed to a life of, you know, just for lack of better words, like, you know, AIDS and HIV, like so many of of maybe your generation yes. listeners have, have seen and just seen the lifestyle that they can live. We want to remind these kids that they can still live a happy life even if it's not, you know, this heterosexual lifestyle that we want them to live. Um, you know, I'm just, and I'm just reading some, some notes that I've found online. I also think that it's important that we respond to anti-LGBT behavior in, in the church. Um, if, if it happens and really just creating a safe space for all students um, to end with this podcast, because I think it's kind of an ending spot. I'd really like to play my musical number and explain about why this musical number is so important first. Perfect. I'm going to press pause okay. and we're going to take the mic over there and we're going to start okay. again. Okay. So about this musical number. So about a month ago, I was visiting my parents' ward. Um, my mom had a health emergency and so I, I flew out for a week. And whenever I visit my family, I like to play a musical number in their ward as a, as a thank you for investing in, in piano lessons. And so um, as I was thinking about my mom, I found this gorgeous arrangement called Beautiful Savior um, by Jason Tonioli. For you musicians out there, let me spell his last name for you. His music is very well-priced and it's gorgeous as you're about to hear. His last name is spelled T-O-N-I-O. L-I. Um, also, thank you, Jason, for giving us permission to play this on this podcast. But um, so I had this musical number ready and I got to my parents' ward and the speaker before um, he gave an interesting talk. Um, by interesting, I mean <laughs> offensive. And he talked about how the church had been persecuted by those who support same-sex marriage and attacked the family proclamation. He went off script. It was really hard to sit through. Um, the night before had been the Love Loud Festival that raised funds for um, to support LGBTQ youth in Utah, and I was reminded of so many youth that we've lost to suicide because they felt unwelcome in, in the church and in other places. And I just remember just getting so, so nervous, but I, I didn't want to leave because, um, because I had this musical number to play. And it was the first time in a church that I prayed that everyone in the congregation would know that I was gay. I was wearing these like light pink pants. I was dressed really well because I just, I thought, would this man have said something differently had he known that a member of the LGBT community was sitting in the congregation? Would he have spoken nicer things? Would he have focused more on the Savior instead of his own personal beliefs? And so um, so I went up and I played, and I thought of the, the text to the song. There's one part that says, um, he makes the sorrowing spirit sing. And I just said a prayer to God that no matter how I played it, that he would just let my sorrowing spirit sing and that, you know, I would just be able to bear my testimony of, of the love of Jesus through the, through the song. And, you know, and I love the, the final line of, of the hymn that says, 
he brings to all the world his love. And I just took that in and, you know, the, um, the musical number finished, it was perfectly silent. And, you know, my mom looked at me and, and she just whispered to me, fight from within, because that is why I, I, I continue to stay right now is because I feel like the LGBT community needs to fight from within the allies. We need to fight from within. We need to show that, that we have meaning that we are important to God and that we are here to stay. And my favorite story from this whole thing is um, that afternoon, my mom got a text from various families and they said that after, um, after church that day during come follow me, they, they spoke with their kids about how, what that speaker had said was offensive to me and, um, and how I fought back with love. And I thought it was beautiful that I didn't say anything. I just went up, played, bore my testimony of the Savior and sat down. Um, I think that's, that's fighting with light. That's being light to the world. And I think that's what we live for. And so I wanted to play this for you guys. And I hope you enjoy. This is Beautiful Savior. Thank you. 
That was beautiful. Um, brought tears to my eyes, maybe to some of you. And I just love your moment of ministry in that sacrament meeting and the ability of music to bring Christ into our lives and to heal. I guess God could have set up the world without music, <laughs> without the ability to sing. Um, but he knew, I believe, that in the difficult of mortality that we needed music. Music for me is one of the most spiritual things in my life. And what RJ just shared and watching him behind the piano, sharing his gifts with all of us, both verbally and now with his musical talents and our podcasts. And one of the things that really shifted for me was to talk about LGBTQ people as our people and not an outside group of people that posed a threat. Um, yeah, I agree. There's people outside of our church, both straight and LGBTQ, that maybe are attacking our church. And I agree with that, but just to pin that on LGBTQ people is unfair. And um, sometimes people say the family's under attack, but I think a better way is to say who is attacking and what's the outcome. Because sometimes when people just say that, I think that's code for LGBTQ people, and I don't think that's fair. I look at the shooting in El Paso, and to me that is, um, to fill in that statement, a shooter. The family's under attack because of a mass shooter in San Antonio that caused the death of innocent people, the families under attack. And so I just think we need to mature in our ability to talk about um, how we're under attack and not just pin that on LGBTQ people. That's just unfair. As you listen to RJ, he is, he is part of our family. He is part of the body of Christ. He is one of us. He is not an, other, an othered people that is outside of of our faith, and we need RJ and all of our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, and what Bishop and Sister Steele are doing, and and that ward in Tempe, I think, is scalable to all of our congregations as we grow. But the heroes in this story are people like RJ that are willing to stay and willing to navigate these complicated waters and willing to own who he is. I love so many things about his story. His feminine side, how cool is that, that this great man, and I call him a man in every sense of the word, talks about his feminine nature. And to me, that's part of, his, that's part of who R.J. is and his Christ-like attributes and his gifts, and I love the way he owns that. And at 25, to be so at peace with who he is and to own every piece of him is, to me, a great sign of personal revelation, spiritual maturity, and a, and, a, and a circle of people that love him, a family that's doing the best they can in a faith community. And so this is just kind of a beautiful love story, and I'm especially touched with RJ and the things that he's taught us and the ability that helps us all to grow. And I'm thankful for our listeners who are listening to this podcast and also touched by RJ's story and would love to jump through the microphones or wherever you're listening and give RJ a hug as is a beautiful. I will take any hug I can get. <laughs> so any final comments? I kind of went off there, yeah, RJ. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, final comments, I guess, to my LGBTQ friends um, would be you are loved, you are awesome, and um, you do you, you be you. I just, yeah. And to my, to the allies listening, those who want to learn more, um, it's okay to not know everything. It's okay to 
um, make mistakes. We're all going to make mistakes as we learn more about this community. But um, it's better to um, to stumble upward than to be complacent and to not go anywhere. Um, yeah, that's, that's great. About it. Thank you, RJ, and You're thanks welcome. our listeners for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Mm-hmm.